Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey friends, it's Katie. I wanted to make a couple of announcements before we get into today's episode. One is I hope you'll listen until the end because we have a short update from Ashley about how early motherhood is going for her. So be sure to listen until the end. I also wanted to make a correction. Last time on our episode 15 with Ashley Easter, I talked about a woman uh, who used to work in the Mormon church uh, as a, an advocate for, for women to be ordained in the, in the Mormon tradition. And I called her Karen Kelly, and her name is Kate Kelly. So apologies to Kate Kelly for that error. I realized I have a really good friend named Karen Kelly, and I just mixed them up in my mind. So um, I'll make sure that the show notes from episode 15 are correct. I also wanted to share a message that I got from one of our listeners on Twitter. This is Katie Cashwell, who tweeted at me, Just listen to Kindred's episode on paid family leave. That's episode 12. Thank you for introducing me to Jessica Shortle's Work Pump Repeat book. It has been so helpful. I've been back at work for two months now, and it is speaking some truth. Katie, we're so glad that Kindred's is helping make uh, motherhood easier for you and glad to know that uh, that Work Pump Repeat has been helpful to you in your transition uh, back to work. And that's the kind of connecting work that we want to do with the Kindreds podcast. We want our listeners to feel like they're in conversation with us uh, and learning about things that can make life easier from day to day. If Kindreds has been a resource for you, something that has given you life, helped you out, I would ask that you consider becoming a supporter on our Patreon page. Patreon is a way for listeners of Kindreds to support a dollar, three dollars, five dollars a month to cover the cost of us producing the show. You also get access to all kinds of great bonus features, especially if you pledge at the three dollars or more level, you'll be invited to our private Facebook group where we talk about the show and share pictures and, and all kinds of fun things. So check out our page, www.patreon.com slash kindreds. I want to give out a shout out to our newest patron supporter, Pat Thomas, who goes to church with me at Poland Church in Raleigh, and I'm so grateful for her support in real life and for the podcast. So go on over to patreon.com slash kindreds to support us today. Today, I'm sitting down with longtime friend, Erin Lane. I think we've known each other since 2003. Or something yeah, like that. that sounds about right. Yeah, about her year of sabbatical, and we'll get more into that in just a minute. Erin Lane is the author of Lessons in Belonging from a Church-Going Commitment Phobe, which is an excellent title, excellent book, and the co-editor of Talking Taboo, American Christian Women Get Frank About Faith. Erin, welcome to Kindreds. Thanks, Katie. So excited to be here. In person, another North Carolina person, which is Woo-hoo! always nice. In the studio. In the studio. I know, I was telling Erin we did a sound check, she has a really good... Um, podcast voice. You also have a cold, which I feel it's like... It's also my sick voice. Yeah, but that was like the best recording voice when you have a cold, right? The end of the cold. Okay, so let's get into the sabbatical that you're you're on. So some of us have probably only heard the term sabbatical used for like college or university professors who take a semester off. At least that's what I think of. Or maybe the occasional long-term pastor who gets a sabbatical from church. Uh, so what does sabbatical mean to you and what's the, the significance of that framing in your life? Yeah, I tell people that I'm taking a sabbatical in the biblical sense of the word, which is I'm not getting paid for it. <laughs> but it comes from a, a scriptural understanding of God and rest. So many of us uh, who grew up in a Judeo-Christian tradition have probably heard of the Sabbath, um, which we conventionally understand as uh, God's commanded day of rest um, for the Israelites. So the command first came from Moses to the Israelite people that they should take a day of rest every seventh day uh, in sort of keeping with how God took a day of rest um, in the original creation story. And so out of that understanding of a day of rest, then we see uh, a couple mentions of a sabbatical year. So rather than every six days, um, 
taking a seventh day of rest. Now we see things uh, in the biblical book of Exodus that every six years there's something called a sabbatical year where um, the Israelites are commanded to let their fields lay fallow um, and let the poor and wild animals um, kind of glean what they have produced during those six years. Um, And so for me it is uh, a year that I am taking to learn how to live simply and embrace my limits and see sort of what renewal that brings me and to see what justice uh, that might engender for my community when I don't feel like I have to be stirring the pot all the time. Those are big questions. It doesn't sound like rest in the sense of (laughs) of just hanging out and watching Netflix or anything. That sounds like asking some really hard questions and giving yourself the space to work through them and discern what the answers are for you. I will add that there's been a lot of binge watching. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, I just blew through the last two seasons of Mozart in the Jungle over two days. Partly because I've been sick, but I've also, um, you know, been squirreling away time. So, Well, good. So there's been a mixture. Could you tell us about your decision to take the sabbatical right now in your life? What was going on for you that made you realize this was something that you needed and wanted and were able to do? So a lot of things converged in my life at the same time to make taking a sabbatical year this year particularly important. The first inkling I got that I might want to take a sabbatical is uh, a couple years ago when I read Andy Crouch's book, Playing God. Read that. We'll There's, link to it in the show notes. Okay. There's a section of that book um, that talks about Andy's practice um, of taking a sabbatical year every seven years. Uh, and he is a writer. Um, I believe he does some teaching. He's on the board of some things. So um, really trying to carve a year out um, where he reset the vocational button Um, Mm. and explored what his relationship to work was anew. Uh, And it really intrigued me when I first read it. And um, I sort of wondered when might be the right time to start a practice like that and wondered, quite frankly, if we could afford it, Mm -hmm. um, if it was sustainable for me and my people. Um, But began thinking about it in terms of perhaps I don't believe anymore in retirement. Um, Mm. that this practice of taking a sabbatical year every seven years um, could be in replace of, in replacement of a retirement Mm, uh, in the conventional sense of the word. So I started thinking about when it might make sense and uh, the things that converged to make it this year um, were twofold. One, I am a retreat facilitator with the Center for Courage and Renewal, which is a nonprofit based in Seattle, Washington, that was founded by Parker Palmer and friends. Um, Parker is a Quaker author and activist who um, founded the center in order to help people reconnect soul and role. So find greater integrity in their work and specifically people who are working in the serving professions. So we were coming up on the end of a grant that was allowing us to work with clergy and congregational leaders. That's the work I was doing at the time. And so we uh, faced a possible break in funding. Mm. Um, That moment converged at the same moment that my husband and I were moving towards adopting three girls we had been fostering for um, almost a year and a half at that point. And it just felt like all signs were pointing to yes, that there would be no better time than when there was a natural um, ebb in work and uh, a more pressing incentive um, to be present to the local life that was forming. Wow. That also sounds really scary to be thinking about expanding your family at the time that your work might your paid work might come to an end or there's some uncertainty. And it reminds me that the day I found out I was pregnant with Samantha, I also found out that our grant funding that I was working on was going to be cut in half. (laughs) I just remember thinking about, like, my my thought was not, oh, I'll take a sabbatical. It was, how are we going to function with all this added responsibility and the possibility that 
income is going to drop. So it immediately created anxiety for me. So I did not have the same kind of, I don't know, maybe a different experience in terms of the preparation. But those those times of uncertainty can create something beautiful and amazing, which is this this year that you have to figure out, you know, what what's what's next. Well, and stupidity can create that too. <laughs> you know, I I thought it sounded great, and then it's like so elegant sounding. I'm it's gonna take it so elegant here. sounding, and I pushed my husband to like advocate for his right to take FMLA, the uh, Family and Medical Leave Act that he was afforded at his job, unpaid, unpaid. So we were both unpaid for the first three months of my sabbatical, wow. with three kiddos uh, and a move uh, to a new city. So didn't think through that fully, um, but uh, it ended up being um, a great start to uh, our family of five cultivating a fresh sense of belonging. The additional thing I want to note is that uh, when I told people that I was taking a sabbatical and it was coinciding with the adoption of the three girls, uh, I had a lot of folks say, that's so great, you're taking time to be with them. Um, And it felt important to me and feels important to me now to say um, I was planning on taking this before Mm -hmm. the adoption was on the horizon and this time primarily is for me Mm -hmm. trusting that a better me makes a better we (laughs) Uh, to be a little cheesy but um, it's true though feels important to to say that it is time for me to get my mojo back um, not to just leave service to one organization for service to another. Yeah, and I think that's a hard thing with parenting, especially people identify as women who parent. I think there's this assumption that any life decision that you make is based on your children's lives and well-being, and um, that's a really hard cultural pressure to, to push back on. And I get that, too, of just saying, I'm still the same person. I have these new people in my family, but it doesn't mean that every decision that I make is based on on them and their time. And I think it's really healthy to have that separation, but it's it's really hard to constantly push back on that. I remember when you told me, I don't think I said that. I was like, "So what are you are you thinking of like what comes next after that year because I talk about being a productivity junkie. It's an addiction that I don't think I'm even in recovery for yet." <laughs> so my reaction was not pursuing professional success. The idea of that is just hard for me to to grapple with. They're like taking a break from that, especially at this time because we're about the same age, mid-30s. Um, so how have you coped with that? Have you felt that cultural pressure, or internal pressure to be producing all of the time? And how have you dealt with that? So I'll first talk about how I've dealt with the cultural pressure and internal pressure um, to produce. Uh, And I would say the thing that has helped me most is is to celebrate small victories. Um, So I was at a luncheon with uh, civil rights activist Ruby Sales last month. She's amazing. (laughs) Um, And she just said in this cultural moment where there is so much to overwhelm us, so much bad news to overwhelm us, so much fear to overwhelm us, um, so much that seems to be going in the wrong direction in this country, um, that that same those same forces that seem to be working against us don't want us to claim small victories Mm. Um, they want us to give up they want us to be discouraged Um, they want us to feel like it's insurmountable um, that things would shift and go in another direction and so I think that is one of the practices that helps me um resist the cult of productivity Mm -hmm. Uh, and on sabbatical that's looked like simply most days uh, coming up with one heart thing and one small thing that I want to attend to that day Um, so the heart thing could be um, uh, a piece of writing that I want to get started on um, or it could be uh, that my 13 year old's birthday is coming up and I want to pick out the perfect purple stylus to go with the new tablet we gave her, right? And so it's just something that sort of fuels my creative self. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one small thing is like, okay, I need to make an eye doctor appointment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if yeah. I get those two things done, if I get a heart thing and a small thing done, um, then I feel like I have infinite freedom to spend the rest of the day like a child would when you get home from school and uh, you're done with homework mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, 
what am I going to get into? Am I going to yeah. watch another episode of Mozart in the Jungle? <laughs> or am I going to line my Barbies up and <laughs> have a Miss America pageant? Right. Like, right? Space to play. Yeah. To not have it be structured. So you redefine for yourself during this time of kind of what accomplishment, for lack of a better word, or like what, what you want to do in the day. And then the rest of the day is is free. Yeah. You can do what you, what you want. And to be fair, that's still an ideal day. Like, a lot of days <laughs> I don't even, um, you know, muster the ovarios to write down my heart mm. thing and small thing. And so I can very quickly get to the end of the day and feel like, well, what was that day about? Mm. Um, did I squander that? And so sometimes I retroactively write them to make myself feel better. And you have a record then, right? To right. Go back. Like, mm-hmm. Tuesday, interview with Katie. <laughs> oh, good. Check. We can check <laughs> We can check off some boxes today. Yeah. Also, the Ruby Sales quote that you shared or kind of the tenor of her of her talk reminded me of the Howard Thurman piece I had read at my ordination called Life Goes On. And oh. he, I'm going to get the quote wrong, but I will include it in the show notes where he says, in these turbulent times, it is more important than ever to tend to the little graces of our lives and talking about if if we allow evil or fear to take away the things of just the, the little beautiful things of life, then it's really one. Yes. Then it's really one. It's really killed our spirit. So um, I'll make sure to link to that because that has given me a lot of just, it's allowed me to recontextualize what life is all about. And it's not always about like being in the struggle and just beating ourselves up because we're not doing so much, but really thinking about joy as an act of um, resistance. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's important to say, too, that um, the point of small victories or little graces, mm-hmm. everyday graces. I'm, I don't know. What, I'm going to have to look it up. Okay. <laughs> That's my interpretation. <laughs> I don't think is to um, puff ourselves up and make ourselves feel a false sense of productivity. Um, Parker Palmer, who uh, I work with at the Center for Courage Renewal, uh, often critiques the overwhelm people experience in our modern world um, and the response is typically to take on smaller and smaller tasks because Mm. the big ones don't have that satisfying payoff. Mm. Um, And so it can be much more compelling to spend a day making appointments um, (laughs) than it can be to like get started on that book project that's Mm -hmm. been swimming around in your head. Um, And so uh, I think it's important to realize that the small victories and the little graces um, are not just things we check off, um, but are also habit forming Mm, um, so that we're able to take on the big stuff um, in digestible ways. So we're not expending our energy on all these little things, but that they've just become part of our, not having, gives us energy to do those big things. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Like it's people who are in meetings all day. We just run from meeting to meeting, but there's no actual work getting done or meetings (laughs) that don't have a goal. Not that there's not something to be said of relationship building, but I cannot stand meetings where there's not action items that are clear. Right. (laughs) Why didn't we get together? I don't understand. Well, and I'm teaching my girls right now. I've got um, one on the cusp of middle school, and so she doesn't have a lot of homework yet, but uh, we got her an agenda book so she could start sort of learning those executive functioning skills. And so uh, I've been teaching her, like, hey – you need to write down, like, um, go to bed dreaming about this project, right? Mm. Like, that is a perfectly acceptable thing to check off your list mm-hmm. um, before you ever write an outline. Mm-hmm. Like, giving um, yourself the space yes. to imagine and the creativity part. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. <laughs> what surprised you most about the experience so far? Because so you're, you're how many months in? I'm about nine months into it. Okay. Yeah. Um, this sounds... Like, everyone could probably have anticipated this, but just how hard it was. Um, I was so looking forward to Mm -hmm. taking sabbatical. Uh, It sounded so dreamy. There was absolutely nothing about a year off from paid work that felt um, (laughs) daunting. And I didn't – I don't think of myself as a productivity junkie, so I thought it would be very easy Mm -hmm. um, to detach and unplug. I have – an email signature that says I don't answer emails on the weekends. Which I love. Right? I mean, I have, like, all of these boundaries uh, that I hope are pointing um, 
to something other than productivity uh, in my life and schedule. So I was a little self-righteous, I suppose, that um, it wouldn't be a problem for me, um, Mm. that it would be a year of delight. And uh, a couple of days before it started, it officially started July 1st, 2017, um, there was a question of uh, a guest preacher at our church. Um, and, uh, Rush was asked to preach, uh, and he wasn't able to, Rush is my husband, um, he had other commitments, and, um, the more and more I thought about the invitation, uh, I wondered, huh, could I do this? Is this part of what would be a good use of my sabbatical to explore, um, this kind of, um, role in my community that I haven't always had the time or bandwidth to attend to? Uh, And so I just had this like total spaz moment where (laughs) I didn't know if to say yes was to move towards the kind of like new muscle flexing I wanted to do on sabbatical or to say no was sort of the letting the fields lay fallow thing that Mm. sabbatical was about. And so um, I actually uh, said uh, to the person who had asked my husband, yeah, actually I'm starting sabbatical. I would love to do this. Um, And then – Quickly, do you do you allow swearing on this podcast? <laughs> um, we typically we typically don't, but I would say if it's super important to your story, I try to avoid that e for explicit. Okay, <laughs> you can spell it or. Um... I will just say that I got physically sick after I said yes, um, and realized ooh, I I needed to back out. I think we can all. Okay. We all know what you're okay. to say. So, so you said yes, and then you immediately questioned if that was the right yeah, thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Or more um, than that, it it made you have a physical reaction to it. It didn't feel right in my body. And then when mm. I said no, it also didn't feel right in my body. And oh, I was like, well, shoot. Um, <laughs> Which I, is it? <laughs> I think what this sabbatical is revealing to me is I actually don't know definitively what I want at mm-hmm. 33. Um, and I think that has been um, the hard lesson that I think I thought at least nine months in there would be real clarity mm-hmm. about these are the things I don't want to re-engage with when sabbatical year is over. These are the things I want to make my life about when sabbatical year is over. And I don't have that list. And I don't hold the illusion anymore that the year will end with that list. Mm. And that is tough. That all makes sense, though, of just going, oh, I mean, that whole dream of what it's going to be like and what the goals are going to be and how you're going to end. I mean, I feel like any process like that, you're going to have, like, expectations that are not met, and then it ends up morphing into something that you weren't expecting. I wanted to ask you, has anyone offered to pay you for work during this time? Have you actively turned down stuff? (laughs) Uh, No. I don't think anyone has offered to – well – I suppose uh, I could have freelanced with the Center for Courage and Renewal. Mm-hmm. So I had a few fellow facilitators who said, does that mean you're not doing any retreats? Right. And I said, no, I'm not Aaron, doing any retreats. I'm losing Aaron for a whole year. Um, so that was as close as it got to. I didn't um, offer to work for free for anyone who would have otherwise Good. paid me. Right. right. Um, don't want to set that precedent up for a future. <laughs> correct. <laughs> I'm a professional volunteer. <laughs> right? Because that's a justice issue, too. Of course. Um, yeah, and I want to talk about money in a second, but go ahead. Well, we can talk okay, about money now. Let's go for it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we've already alluded to this, that most most people aren't going to be able, at least in the way that you've done it, to take a year off from paid work because financially they can't afford to do it. Um you know, and if they do have a steady job, they're not going to probably leave it. So how do you wrestle with that privilege of, of having the opportunity to take this year? And what responsibility do you feel for the time? It definitely is a privilege um, that I get to take a sabbatical year, that that choice is available to me. Um, as a creative professional, I try to be very transparent with people about what – privilege has um, cued me up to do the work that I'm doing now. So that includes a husband who does enjoy stable employment uh, (laughs) and uh, that kind of regularity works for him and he's been in his profession for 
almost 20 years now. Um, wow, that's wild. Yeah, and so uh, it's compensated accordingly. That's one of the things that makes it possible. The other thing, um, of course, uh, is family history. Um, I tell people that I have a trust fund. Um, I'm not drawing on it during sabbatical, but it certainly means that I went into sabbatical without debt. Um, and that kind of family money and legacy um, certainly uh, creates uh, a sense of freedom, internal freedom, um, that I know others don't don't have access to. So uh, it feels important to name those two things um, that are not a result of any um, skill uh, or uh, my own sort of pulling myself up from my bootstraps. Going to the responsibility question, though, uh, I don't feel a responsibility um, to anyone on my sabbatical other than myself. And uh, I realized as I was reflecting on your question that um, you sent some version of before we sat down to talk today, um, it's partly because I'm an Enneagram 5. So for folks that are familiar with this um, very popular right now Celtic personality. Mm-hmm. We'll link to it in the show notes or a test that people can take. Yes. Um, fives um, don't want anyone to need anything from them and really resist the idea that we are responsible for other people. Like that uh, Christian, um, the verse that comes from the Bible about um, Judeo-Christian, uh, are, am I my brother's keeper? early on in Genesis? I mean, I would always answer no. No. <laughs> no. Um, that's the dark side. Uh, I think the light side is that I'm very much um, a, a spiritual proponent of self-care and trust that um, self-care at its best is not selfish. Um, mm-hmm. I think Thomas Merton says something like, sainthood is to be fully yourself. Um, and I think that is the, the practice of sabbatical for me is trusting that my community benefits when I do those things I talked about earlier, living simply, um, and embracing my limits. Mm -hmm. Um, because when I live simply, I'm able to be more present to the other people around me and to see the needs in front of me and to respond more nimbly if I'm not overcommitted. And then I think to embrace my limits, create space for other people, um, mm-hmm. And that was a real curiosity at the start of this. Um, who would take on my work at the Center for Courage Renewal? Mm-hmm. What books would be written in the year that I didn't write much? Um, just sort of what place at the table um, would open up for other people mm-hmm. um, as a result of me saying no? And that felt equally as important Uh in the book Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert has like I was just thinking about that book as great, we were talking. <laughs> a great uh, section on like please don't write to help me, uh-huh. like please don't try to save me with your writing. And right. I feel it's the same with sabbatical. I'm not trying to um, be responsible for anyone or save anyone through taking a sabbatical. Um, I'm merely trying to save myself. Um, from self-destruction, uh, from overwork, uh, from continuing on a path unreflectively, um, for doing what I'm good at and get paid for rather than perhaps what I'm called to do um, or uniquely equipped to do. And, and if that ends up um, blessing other people, like I think the scripture tells us taking a sabbatical year does, um, then fabulous. But it's not for anyone else, mm-hmm. um, and I don't. I don't feel a responsibility um, externally. Externally, mm-hmm. but a yeah. lot of responsibility internally in terms yes. of what you're hoping to work through. Yes, I'm an Enneagram One, which uh, probably comes as no surprise. Uh, <laughs> so I, um, I such know, a healthy one. I know how to do everything well, <laughs> and I know how to do everything right. So if you ever want, you know, to know how to do something correctly. Just ask me because I absolutely know. <laughs> I have one of those in my house, so I'll take a hard pass. So you're a one and a five. No, no, no. Oh, no someone no. else in someone my house. Else. Is... Right, right, right. Okay. So you've got a suspected one. Okay. So Matt, I think, is a seven. Okay. And so he's more of the playful type. 
Um, I've self-diagnosed him because I'm a one. I've self-diagnosed <laughs> him a seven. But it actually, those two go really well together, I'm finding, because... The seven and the one. The seven and the one, yeah. Anyway, enough about the Enneagram. No, well, there's a really great book that you should also put in the okay. show notes. What's it um, It is called The Road Back to Us, and uh, it's by a woman named Suzanne Stabil that I just saw um, locally in Durham. Uh, she did a pre-conference workshop oh, right. at um, Why Christian. Christian. Yeah, okay. And it was fabulous. Um, and it talked a lot about the Enneagram being this different way of seeing the world and that the folks that see the world differently from us are never going to see it mm-hmm. um, our way. Mm-hmm. And just hearing that just opened up so much compassion in me mm-hmm. for other people. Okay, right. if, if the goal – is not to get you to see things my way. <laughs> right, um, right. That's impossible. So that would be a great book uh, if people were more curious. Yeah, um, we'll link to it. And I, I really like the Enneagram better than the Myers-Briggs, which is what oh, yeah. um, certain people in my extended family love to talk oh, about. Oh. Which, I mean, I think it has some usefulness. But I think Myers-Briggs personality types can – can shift and change depending on what circumstances you're in. Like, I've definitely become more of an introvert after having worked from home for, like, eight years yeah. than I was before. And I feel like the Enneagram, I can say, nope, that's who I've been from day one. Yeah. Like, I have not changed from that personality type. Um, okay, so I'm not going to ask you about what's next because that is not the point of your sabbatical. But I'm wondering if there are any practices or mindsets that you have adopted during this time that you hope to incorporate into your life post this particular sabbatical and and what might that look like for you? I think I will carry with me the affirmation of small victories Mm, um, and try to bring that back into whatever my work life looks like after July 1st of this year. Um, the new-ish lesson uh, has just been that no is the default. Mm-hmm. Um, that n- like whenever someone asks me to do something, um, rather than being like, that sounds interesting, which is my non-committal way of like making mm-hmm. um, someone else feel good and then leaving the door open for me because I love open doors. Mm-hmm. Um, right? You said the title of my book at the start of the show, Lessons in Belonging from a Church-Going Commitment Foe. Like, there is still a commitment phobe in me that wants to see every possibility held out um, and close no doors um, or opportunities or relationships. But uh, on sabbatical, I have this really beefy reason um, to say no. Oh, I'm on sabbatical. I'm sorry. Ask me again when um, the year is up. Or, oh, I'm on sabbatical, so I only have uh, so many slots in my week for dates. Um, and I've had people respond back, wow, like busy woman. Um, a friend just did that recently and I wrote back, uh, I don't think I'm busy. I think I'm really highly bounded right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I only have so many slots for this and so many slots for this. And those are your limits. Yeah. So I think no. glad we made the cut. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, yeah, it's funny I when I tell people that, that right? Yeah. Like they're like, "Ooh, <laughs> I get access during your during your sabbatical." But yeah. I want people to feel that way. I want them to feel like when we are together, um, I'm not phoning it in, but mm-hmm. it's something that's really meaningful and really central to who I am. One of the Why Christian Conference speakers um, was a woman named Gail Song Bantam, who's the uh, executive pastor at Quest Church in Seattle. And in the Q&A after um, her talk, she said uh, her biggest advice for young women of color who see her, she's an Asian woman, um, and kind of wonder how they can do what she's doing is she tells them to say no more often than they say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Let your no's be plentiful and let your yeses be so sure that when you hit roadblocks with your yeses, you keep going. Mm, right? That's really good um, advice. Because the more prolific your no's are, um, then the more sure you need to be about your yeses. Um, that they are so compelling. Oh, um, there's so much. That you can follow there. through on that. 
there's so much gender and race stuff with that. And I, I mean, my impulse to say yes is so strong that I had a therapist tell me the next time someone asked me to do something to physically put my hand up hmm. as a signal to my brain to pause. Oh, I like that. <laughs> like, even if there's no one there, even if you're on the phone, just put your hand up as a way to pause and say, let me get back to you, which is the noncommittal thing. But yes. for me, that was a healthy step because the, I mean, I want to say yes. Yeah. I want to say yes all the time. Um, oh, I really like that. And because that. we're white women. Um, Gotta be pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not be too direct because we get. Right. Um, and we're now in the South. You're not originally from the South, but Ashley and I are both from the South. And there's even, I think there's even more of that here. There is. Um, yeah. So for different um, demographics, for different bodies, um, saying no has different consequences. Um, but it does feel like a, an especially powerful practice from my sabbatical that I hope will carry over. Into, yeah. into life. It's like the opposite of the Shonda Rhimes book of the year of saying yes. I'm oh, like, yeah. So no. many people have said, I need a year of saying no. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So one last question before we move on. I wanted to ask you, you know, are there ideas that you could share with people who might not be able to do this year-long sabbatical but might find a way to have more restoration and space for discernment in, in daily life, in normal daily life? Is there anything that you could suggest? My biggest suggestion uh, is to schedule for the unscheduled. Mm. Um, that's like my ace move. Um, and I was doing it before the sabbatical, and this year sort of feels like one big year um, that I have scheduled for the unscheduled. But it, for me, before sabbatical, literally looked like putting three hours on my calendar every week that I could not fill mm-hmm. until I got there. Mm-hmm. It was like a block of time. It was a of block of hours. time on my Google Cal that I, I could not give up <laughs> and that I could not plan for. I just needed to get to it and then be like, all right, what's it going to be today? Nap? Do you need a three hour nap? Mm-hmm. Okay, what's it going to be today? Do you need like a walk? Anything could go during that Anything. Time. You could make a phone call. You could do something really hard. You could cook. You could um, continue working on something you were working on in the morning. Uh-huh. Uh, it didn't matter. The point no was stipulations. Just the scheduled part. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I just think that that time um was so completely precious um and revelatory and and that's been my hope for sabbatical that being um finding a better balance of intentionality and spontaneity um what for some time I've called the ministry of availability Mm -hmm. uh would make me a better listener um to God to my people and to myself and sort of um, regain my capacity to live in this world instinctually rather than intellectually. Mm. I think we'll stop right there because that was really good. (laughs) Okay, so a challenge for all of us is schedule some unscheduled time. Yeah. I'm going to do that. This is Katie jumping in for just a second post-production. After Erin and I had our original interview – Erin realized there were a few things that she didn't say when we were recording in our studio that she wanted to add. So she's recorded a response to her own response, an answer behind the answer about responsibility and privilege that I will include now and then we'll be back to our show. Hey, this is Erin again with an answer behind the answer to Katie's good question on the privilege and responsibility of sabbatical. Katie and I were talking a little bit after the interview uh, of some of the things I wish I would have said that felt important enough to add to the podcast. The first thing is anytime we talk about financial privilege, I think it's important to note what my mentor, Jeanette Stokes, always says, that for those of us who have been seen as white in this country, we can't talk about financial privilege without acknowledging that that privilege was stolen that it comes from stolen land, stolen labor, um, and stolen resources that were never ours to begin with. And so any of us who are willing to uh, reckon with that also have to reckon with how our life makes reparations for that, how we figure out ways uh, in which to give 
our resources back um, in some meaningful way uh, to the people on whose backs we made wealth. The second thing I want to say is I talked about how my sabbatical was made possible in part by a trust fund, and Katie and I were talking about the stigma that comes with a trust fund. So let me just be super clear about what I meant by that. One, I currently have $28,000 in my trust fund, which is significant and substantial. Yes, but we're not talking millions of dollars. Uh, It is a fund that my dad and mom um, put aside to save for my undergraduate education uh, and Praise God, I could graduate um, from that institution debt-free and have money left over to go to grad school uh, and even to put money down for the down payment of my husband and my first home. So an incredible privilege, um, but one that also comes with an understory, uh, that, and that's the fact that my dad is now in prison for bankruptcy fraud. So a lot of the... Um, financial story that I carry with me is one of money that I didn't know where it came from and I didn't know if it was being hidden and I didn't know if it was being saved away for me um, to avoid taxes uh, or to contribute to um, my betterment. And I, I want to believe the latter and I fully believe that that was the intention, but those questions are always lurking for me anytime I talk about that money. The second thing I want to talk about is the responsibility. I was a little glib when I told Katie that I didn't feel a real responsibility to anything other than myself for this time. That's not entirely true. Sabbatical for me has been about exploring my responsibility to my local community. Uh, And by that, I mean a couple of things. One, it's totally exploring my responsibility to the three girls that my husband and I adopted. I mean, we started fostering because we felt like our carefully curated life just wasn't um, really living close to the bone of our need and the needs of our community. And so we opened our house, um, to the surprise of three little Latina ladies, uh, and then further uh, the surprise of adopting them when we had no expectation or even desire that that would be the end result, um, of our experiment in radical hospitality. The other people that I'm trying real hard to be present to uh, is a group of women that uh, lead and participate in a local organization called the Resource Center for Women and Ministry in the South. Um, I'm the the board chair this year, which I have time to be because I'm not working. And it has been an incredible experience um, to work with that organization's founder, Jeanette Stokes, uh, and think about how we can better be a bridge between the activism needed in this cultural moment and the contemplation that's going to sustain it um, for feminists, for womanists, um, for people that don't like either of those labels, uh, for the, the folks in our community that are wrestling um, with what is required of us in this cultural moment and how we can be a beacon um, for spirituality, creativity, and justice in Raleigh-Durham. And then the third group of people really is my local church. I mean, my job before I went on sabbatical was to lead retreats for clergy and congregational leaders so that they could find better uh, integrity in their work. And I realized so little of what I was giving was to my local clergy and congregational leaders. And so uh, in the last year, um, I've gotten to preach a guest sermon, Uh, not the one I talked about getting physically ill over, another one. Uh, I've gotten to start a group called The New Better Off where we talk about ways of redefining success um, from what the cultural norms have told us. And then the last one uh, is writing a paid parental leave policy for the staff of our church. Uh, It bewildered me when my husband and I adopted our three girls to find out that clergy in the United Methodist Church are protected in the Book of Discipline um, for paid family leave but staff are not. And so uh, just yesterday, I got off a proposal to our staff parish relations committee, the group of people that makes those kinds of decisions in the United Methodist Church, uh, and um, hoping hoping it goes through and the staff at our church um, can have equitable benefits. So those are just the kinds of things I didn't feel like I had the bandwidth to give my myself and my time to, um, which I certainly think is a huge part of why I took the sabbatical. Uh, and I just wanted to take some extra time to give a better answer to that. So I don't always get it right the first time. Thank you for uh, indulging me uh, and really explaining and getting a little bit more real uh, about the answer behind the answer to Katie's good question. 
So we always do a segment when we're talking about things that we're reading or things that we're listening to. And I was wondering, I mean, we mentioned a lot of books, but is there anything else that you've been reading recently or, or not so recently that you wanted to share as a recommendation to our folks? So I just started reading uh, a local author, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, yeah, and I know his Jonathan. new book. Uh, which is Reconstructing the Gospel, Finding Freedom from Slaveholder Religion. Mm. Just came out in March of this year, 2018, from InterVarsity Press. Um, And it's really his reckoning with the notion that Christianity is not good news for everyone. Mm. It hasn't been good news for everyone. It's been used for white supremacist reasons. Um, You know, we know the story that it's been used for – justifying slavery uh, and all sorts of social ills but uh, he is not making the argument that that is something that happened way back when Um, he's making the argument that there are still many facets um, of Christianity that are still laced with that um, white supremacy and and bad news um, for the people for whom the gospel was originally intended to liberate Mm. tell me the title one more time Reconstructing the Gospel, Finding Freedom from Slaveholder Religion. Great. Thank you for that. Yeah, I met Jonathan not that long ago and was just really taken with him and with his ministry and the work that he's trying to do, like really the radical hospitality work. So we'll definitely link to that and I will pick that up. I think my book is also in varsity press, which is funny. Um, I had the opportunity to read an early copy of my friend Rachel Marie Stone's new book, which is coming out on May 1st, called Birthing Hope, Giving Fear to the Light. Uh, You can pre-order it now. It is stunningly beautiful. I was reading it on a plane to Washington, D.C., and I was trying so hard not to cry because I didn't want my seatmate to wonder what was wrong with me. You're like, please don't talk to me. I'm having a moment. Oh, it's just so stunning. I mean, there's something about reading something that a friend has written, too, that's just very different but I think even if you don't know who she is um, it's just a beautiful piece of writing I won't give anything away but one of the central stories is she was in Malawi she and her husband and their children were Malawi and she was serving as kind of a volunteer doula a birthing attendant and she caught a newborn baby whose mother had HIV and she didn't know that she didn't have gloves on Um, she had some cut cuticles and so there's this moment of like oh my gosh that was so stupid and how is my life going to be different and she talks about that period of waiting of you know not knowing what's going to happen after after this incident so we follow her journey through that whole experience and she ties in things from her childhood about fear she talks about her own birth experience it's just mesmerizing it's Mm. beautiful And Rachel's going to be on Kindred's, I think, in two episodes to talk about the book. So you'll get to hear a little bit more about it. So Also, can I add that Rachel and Katie, you both were contributors in Talking Taboo, Taboo, which is the very first book I worked on. Yes. Uh, There there are good people in that book. I have gotten to know so many people. Yes. I've gotten to know so many people who wrote chapters in that book I didn't know before. And now I'm like, wait a second. I think we were in a book together. Yes. Talking Taboo. American Christian women get frank about faith. Yeah. It's It's a a treasure trove. It's really, really, really good. And very diverse in terms of the voices represented. So we'll make sure to link to that, too. Okay, so uh, we always do at the end a kindreds of the moment, and you might want to weigh in on this, but I wanted to highlight Naomi Wadler, who was the youngest speaker at the March for Our Lives rally in Washington, D.C., and if you haven't seen her speech, like, go watch it right now. Mm. It's so good. Um, Of course, we'll link to it in the show notes. She's 11 years old. 11 years old, and she stood up in front of all thousands of people, and I wanted to read an excerpt of her speech because it was so powerful. She said, I'm here to acknowledge and represent the African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of every national newspaper, whose stories don't lead on the evening news. I represent the African-American women who are victims of gun violence, who are simply statistics instead of vibrant, beautiful girls full of potential. For far too long, these names, these black women, these black girls and women have just been numbers. I'm here to say never again for those girls, too. Mm. It's so good. Just watching her. Like, claim the power of her voice. Uh, Again, at 11 years old, it's just, it brought me to tears. And um, it's a reminder, I think, to all of us in the struggle for justice that we can't disregard how oppression intersects with itself 
we can't talk about, you know, gender without talking about race and all the other isms that come come with that and that she really inspires me to continue to rise up and challenge those those power structures um, that prevent us from creating a more just society for everybody so I can't wait to continue watching her I, she's gonna go somewhere I mean she's already somewhere amazing and I look forward to watching her path beautiful yeah I haven't seen the video but... oh my gosh we might need to go watch it right now <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on Kindred's Aaron. it's been great mm, thanks Katie Hey, Ashley. Hey, Katie. I have missed saying that. I'm so Me glad. too. <laughs> Me I'm too. so glad to get to talk to you. It's been so long. Oh, I've really missed this. We've missed you too, but I'm really glad that you have had a break from Kindreds because you're a new mom. And Avery is how old now? Six weeks. Six Isn't that crazy? Weeks. That is, but you're still counting in weeks, which means it's still really early. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, this is very true. It's well, funny. It seems like the longest six weeks of my life, but also it feels like the shortest. I don't know. The shortest, know. the longest, shortest time, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I get it podcast. now. <laughs> you I get, get it. it <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. And congratulations for keeping Thank another you. human alive for six whole weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks. It does feel like, um, it feels like a feat. It really does. Well, we're all here cheering you on, and I wanted to ask you just one question because I know we could talk for forever, and you're going to have to go feed your baby soon, but Katie in our Patreon group on Facebook asked if we could ask you, you know, is parenting everything that you had hoped it would be? So... I love that question, and I saw that come up in our um, Patreon Facebook group, and I loved your response to it, um, <laughs> that you said, it just depends on the day or even the hour, like, what the answer to that question would be. And I was I, trying to run some interference for you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. It's so true. It really is. Um, but I, I was really trying, I was trying to think about how to answer that. And I asked my husband this morning, like, how would you answer? Is this everything you hoped it would be? And he kind of, he hit the nail on the head. He said, well, we really didn't have any expectations going into this because we were everything about parenting and bringing home a newborn is such a mystery that we didn't really have any hopes for what it would be like beyond just, I hope that childbirth goes smoothly and it did for the most part and I'm really grateful for that and we hoped that that um our son would Your be son. I know our son we hope that he would be healthy and he is and so yeah I have a lot of gratitude for um just those really basic things and beyond that I mean every day is just sort of a new it's a new challenge but there are high highs and low lows if that makes sense like Mm -hmm. the three o'clock in the morning lows where you're like frantically shopping on amazon for something that will make your child stop crying (laughs) we own seriously like one of every brand of swaddle that they make (laughs) and oh so some of those lows but then the highs like he started smiling like responsively um Mm. You just and need that just, little bit of, like, yes. feedback that's positive. <laughs> yes, yes, because for the first few weeks, they're just, like, there's not any reciprocity. You're just keeping this little creature alive, mm-hmm. and every um, every day they get a little bigger, um, and then one day they actually make eye contact with you and smile back at you, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is – and so those are, like, the high highs, and – Um, yeah, so it's just from day to day, we have no idea what to expect and we just kind of roll with it. And so I guess, yes, the short answer is yes, that's everything I hoped it would be. If what I hoped it would be was complicating and challenging and wonderful (laughs) and amazing and terrible all at the same time. That sounds just about right. It sounds (laughs) like everything is on track. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's been good, and I don't really have any complaints, so. That's great. Well, we've got a whole team of cheerleaders here for you, rooting you on, and we were talking before, and I just said, I promise it doesn't stay like this. Everything will change, and the joy will start to outweigh the challenges. 
um, just as he grows and as you get more comfortable with being parents. I mean, you're still new, new parents. Yeah. Right now. It's, you're adapting to that new role too. Yeah. And that new title. Like, it's yeah. so weird to call myself a parent and a mom and to say I have a son and it's just, yeah, it's nuts. So we're still, we're still really getting used to it, but yeah. One thing though, that, um, I've really loved. So I really miss, uh, recording with you. Um, but I have loved so I much listening too. to your episodes. They have been so good and our guest hosts have been so incredible and, Thank you to Matt for (laughs) being such a good sport and pitching in on Valentine's Day, which was actually the day I was bringing um, my son home from the hospital. So, uh, yeah, I really um, shout out to him. But also, I mean, our other guest hosts have been really amazing. Cindy and Ashley both have been – their episodes were just really cool to me. So I've I've just really loved listening to the podcast. It's been weird not to be on it, but – but it's been really cool. I'm glad you've had a chance to listen and we've really missed you, but it's been fun to think about who are the other kinds of voices mm-hmm. that we want to lift up on kindreds. And so as we think about, you know, when, when you're back, when you feel comfortable coming back, how we might do more interviews. Yes. But also have conversations between the two of us because I really like that. But yeah, it's been, it's been really fun and it's been a challenge for me to pick up the pieces of the podcast that you were doing before and, um, learning some of the technical side, but we we miss you. And we're holding a spot for you whenever you're ready to come back. No pressure. <laughs> we look forward to Yay. Katie and Ashley back together again. I even had a guest named Ashley. You know, I have like an Ashley shaped hole in my <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> yeah, um, and you're doing an awesome job too, uh, just with the technical stuff and getting. I mean, you're doing all of it right now, which um, it's not a small thing, especially if you've if you've happened to um, look at our uh, Patreon video on our Patreon page where we talk about sort of the ins and outs of behind the scenes of the podcast. Um, and I think we did a little mini episode about that too. But just what goes into this podcast, it's a lot for two people. So the fact that you're carrying it um, all right now is really awesome. And uh, thank you. And I love it. Thank you for the shout out. And again, if you want to support us on our Patreon page, you can go over to patreon.com slash kindreds. And again, if you donate at the $3 level or up, you'll get an invitation to that Facebook group where we're having conversations about episodes and um, I'm planning to post a picture of my daughter's first ballet class, which will happen today. Uh, So just know there's fun bonus content over on the Facebook group. We'd love to have you over there. Yep. And um, I just want to quickly say what I'm watching, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So um, I have had a lot of opportunities lately at two, three o'clock in the morning to binge <laughs> Netflix. And I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And right now I'm not watching or reading or doing much educational, um, or enriching uh, Fair television, <laughs> but I just want to shout out two shows that I am obsessed with right now. So one is the reboot of queer eye for the straight guy. I That's love it. It is so good, and every episode I tear up a little, and it just makes me really happy. And then the other is, um, if you haven't seen Marvel, Jessica Jones, the first season um, came out last year, and the new second season is just as good as the first season. I love it. I recommend it for anybody that likes um, this kind of the superhero genre, but not as, like, I wasn't really into the superhero stuff until I started watching Jessica Jones. And now I'm like devouring all the Marvel shows on Netflix. So I just really love it's such a the the women. There are so many fleshed out um, three dimensional women characters on this show. And they it passes the Bechdel test, you know, two women Mm -hmm. talking about something other than men. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they rarely talk about men and it's amazing. It's just like. It's just so good. So anyway, um, yeah, that's what I'm watching. If anybody is interested. (laughs) I love it. I watched the first season of Jessica Jones. I have not watched the second season because we've been watching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Which is also really fun if you haven't watched it. And of course, you know, dabbles into the religion stuff and some of the absurdity. I just watched an episode yesterday about um, 
Holy Week and and Good Friday and Easter. And uh, so it was very timely to watch that as we're recording this in the middle of Holy Week. So that's another one that I've been watching. We should add a segment about what we're watching on TV. I know, really. (laughs) Just like the silly stuff. We don't all just like sit around and read, you know, difficult texts all the time. Yeah, feminist literature. and Right. (laughs) Yeah, we have fun too. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking time out of what is a very hectic time of your life to record this little mini clip that we'll um, include in our episode with Erin Lane. And again, we miss you. We're rooting for you. We can't wait to have you come back. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. All right, talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 